Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Jason Moore, welcome to the Duocast, my friend. I'm glad to be here again, Brian. I'm uh, really excited about this new setup. We are working remotely and we're not together, of course, because of the pandemic, but we've moved to a different way of recording, which is going to allow us to have more seamless conversations without latency related to the Zoom Wi-Fi connection. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how this flows. Me too. So far, so good. So what did you think of the Jen McGowan episode? You know, I really like her. I learned a lot from her in terms of the filmmaking process from start to finish. I'm starting to notice that the sort of process is very similar with most of the film directors and filmmakers. It's just that the trajectories are a little bit different. But I like what she had to say about becoming an expert in your own style and creating something that is your own and not somebody else's and not something that has already been done. And I think Jen does a good job of explaining that and is teaching by example. Yeah, I think you're right. That's a great takeaway from that episode. In fact, we use that quote from her about finding your unique perspective, finding out what your tastes are, and not trying to emulate someone else. Right. We use that in the intro to her podcast episode, and we also used it as an audiogram quote. Yeah, we did. I think the reason it resonated with you and I is it's true. It's true. It's universal truth that some guests are able to put out there. And that's what I look for when I'm editing these episodes, or not editing, you do the editing. But when I go through them and I kind of do last minute suggested edits, I'm also looking for little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. And Jen was able to give us a few of those. It actually was kind of tough to pick the one that I wanted to use for her quote. But Jen obviously has become a force in the film community. And I love the fact that she is of my generation, and I think we're the same graduating high school class, not in the same school, but the same year. And we, I think, had a connection that way that people from that era have in terms of how they were raised by their parents. True. Yeah. And you're from that same generation too, but you know, just the wild approach to parenting where children are to be seen and not heard. Let them do their thing. Don't bother me. Okay, kids, do your thing. And that sounds cold and heartless now in this era, but I think it really gave children an opportunity to wander and make mistakes and stumble upon things and get into trouble and get themselves out of trouble. And I think Jen is from that generation, especially with the way she described how her parents raised her and her mom being a nurse and my mom being a nurse. I just really felt a connection with Jen, and I was grateful that she spent time with me on the podcast. Well, it was a great it was a great interview, Brian. And from what it sounds like, she had something happen that we can relate to in terms of the use of music and film or streaming services and dealing with the licensing issue and finding out that multiple people or entities own a piece of music or a catalog of music. And we had something similar happen with Don McLean on YouTube where we got blocked in several countries, and you know apparently we, we uh, should have took heed from Darren Bruce. 
Yeah, we did not learn our lesson. Darren tried to tell us. He did. He's like, you need rights, man. You need the permission. And uh, we thought that this email from Don McLean was going to give us the clear, the go-ahead, the green light right. to use his music. And sure enough, we hit a dead end. Um, but it only blocked us in a couple of countries. And I think, uh, to be fair to us, I, I may have to take issue with Darren on this. I think it's fair use. Yeah, I think to- It's not like we're, yeah. you know- we're not making money off of it or anything, but who knows? Maybe you and I will get sued into the ground on that. Well, I hope not. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. So uh, what would you think of Rust Creek? Did you get a chance to check out that film? I did. I watched it last week and uh, found it to be a really well-done film. It's a thriller based on this character, Sawyer, who's kind of this ambitious college student who goes on an adventure, gets stranded in the backwoods of Kentucky, and ends up in some trouble where she's basically being hunted down by these guys. And I don't want to give it away. I don't want to get all of it away. But I will say this. The acting is really well done, as is the directing. And I think the actress that plays Sawyer, her name's Hermione Corfield, I think. Mm -hmm. I think she's great. Yeah. I think she's great. I see her working in film for a very long time. She's going to be a star. You know, don't get me wrong. The other actors were, were also great. I just think there's something special about Hermione Corfield. I agree. I'm going to be following her career for sure. I'm glad you had a chance to look at that film. It's neat to be able to look at the work of our guests before and after these interviews so that we can make sense of what the uh, lessons are from the interviews and make sense of you know who these people are and what they're creating and what we're actually talking about. And so thanks. Thanks for watching that and sharing your thoughts on it. Oh, yeah. Great little film for sure. So, um, Brian, I was just going to ask you how things are going with Sundance. Well, great question, my friend. I have been watching some Sundance films over the last week. The festival actually started a week ago today. We're recording on a Thursday. And the uh, the films have been overwhelming in terms of the sheer number of films to watch. And I have not been able to watch nearly as many as I'd like to, but I have been able to watch a few. And of course, the whole experience is online this year. so. It's very strange because I've been to Sundance multiple times and it's such a singular, unique experience to wait in line for an hour before the film, get your seat, see the director talking about the film before you know he's up on stage or she's up on stage talking about the filmmaking process and what to expect. And, and then you watch the movie with them and you, you hear them afterwards during the Q&A talking about what it was like to make this movie. And so that whole experience of the before, the during, and the after at Sundance is gone. You do get to hear from the director or the producer or both before you watch the film. They kind of put that in so you, you're forced to watch it before you watch the movie, which is fine with me. I love hearing the perspective of the director and, and seeing who made the film before I watch it. And then afterwards, there is a Q&A that you can watch. So it, it does kind of mimic the in-person experience a little bit, but it's definitely different and um, a little bit sad that we don't have that in-person experience this year. It is sad, but at least you get to, you know, pick and choose what you want and not have to wait in the line and spend the money to go down there and get the, you know, the hotels and the plane ticket and all that. Good point, Jason. I think we're realizing that there's a lot of things that we did before the pandemic, which are not really necessary anymore. Right. <laughs> so I, I hate to admit it, but we don't need to go to the office anymore, at least not as often. 
we don't need face-to-face meetings with folks anymore. We don't need to commute and drive and waste gas and car maintenance money and parking fees and all of that. Well, same thing with Sundance. I think we're realizing we can get a similar experience online. And and this is going to change. This is going to be a game changer for the film festival community. They're really going to have to dig deep and figure out, are we going to make online streaming a permanent part of this experience? And of course, I don't think the theater experience is ever going to go completely away because people want to see films in movie theaters. So I think that's going to happen. But I also think that they're going to be offering online participation more now that they're figuring out the technology and they're realizing there's folks that just cannot afford to go to Park City or to Austin or to Cannes and see these films. It's tens of thousands of dollars sometimes to take these trips, hotel fees and plane tickets and food and all of that. So in a way, it's kind of a democratization. We've heard that word a lot these days with the Robin Hood trading on the GameStop app. Oh, yeah. Democratization, which is just making things more accessible to regular people. And I like that about the film festival experience at Sundance this year. It's like the film festival passes are cheaper, they're more accessible. You can watch these movies from the comfort of your own home on your couch with your family. And to get back to your original question, Jason, I have watched, let's see here, five Sundance movies so far. And I'm scheduled to watch a couple of more because I have publicists that are trying to get me to watch trailers and to interview some directors that are pretty exciting. But I've seen One for the Road, which is a movie about a bar owner, a high-end nightclub slash bar owner in New York City who is from Thailand. And he has to go back to Thailand to be with his friend who is dying of leukemia. Oh, okay. It's a road trip movie, and it's uh, mostly in the Thai language, so it's all subtitled or mostly subtitled, but um, in a very long movie, too. I'm, I think it was over two and a half hours long. Wow. But I watched this with my wife and my youngest daughter, Izzy, and I was surprised at how captivating it was and how moving it was. And I'm normally, after an hour and a half, I'm done. I just don't have the attention span for long movies anymore. <laughs> but this one really had me and um, it brought me to tears. You know, the, the tearful part of it for me was not necessarily that the friend was dying, but it was the relationships that he was going back and dealing with, kind of the unfinished business of multiple relationships that he was dealing with throughout the film. And that's, that was the road trip part of the movie. And I love road trip movies. Yeah, me too. Um, and this is a road trip movie, so... Another film I watched is First Date, which is kind of a comedy. It's a crime thriller slash comedy, and uh, it's it's almost like Adventures in Babysitting. You remember seeing that movie? Oh, that was a long time ago. Yeah, I do kind of remember seeing that. Yeah, Elizabeth Shue was in that film. Yeah. And uh, she's babysitting a couple of kids, and they end up uh, going on this adventure involving all kinds of shenanigans and capers and criminals. And it was uh, a classic film from the eighties, but I definitely remember watching that now, but this first date movie has a lot of that vibe to it. There's just this one night where all of this shit is happening. I think it was a first film for the directors and screenwriters. And a lot of the acting uh, was phenomenal, despite the fact that these are brand new young actors in this film. And that was a lot of fun to watch. And the reason I watched that one in particular is I have a connection to one of the actresses 
who has a role in that film, and I may be interviewing her down the road. But Great. Yeah, another film I watched is John and the Hole, and it's a bizarre, dark, very off-the-beaten-path type of film, but let me give you the setup. So, John... Well, I, think you need, I think you need to, because I, when I saw that title... <laughs> I immediately went a different direction, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, John. John in the Hole. Yeah, this is kind of a family-friendly movie. So, yeah, the title is um, a little bit deceiving. <laughs> but John in the movie is a 13-year-old kid, finds a bunker in the woods, and decides that he wants to put his family, played by parents Michael C. Hall of Dexter and Jennifer Ely, I'm not sure how to pronounce her last name, but it's E-H-L-E, as well as his sister, played by Thaisa Farmiga, put him in the bunker. And so he, I'm not going to say how he does this, but he puts his entire family in the bunker and leaves them there. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> so he decides he's going to live his best life, Jason. <laughs> and uh, his, his best life involves basically chicken nuggets and video games in the house with no parents or sister around. Sounds like the life for sure. <laughs> so it's kind of a fantasy for every 13-year-old, right? Get rid of everybody in the house and that's what he does. But I've probably given away too much. So spoiler alert, too late. I gave away part of the premise of the film. But it was great start to finish. Although if you're looking for a very satisfying storybook ending, this is not the movie for you. It's not the thing, huh? No. No, and that's one characteristic of Sundance films or indie films in general, is the directors seem to go out of their way to come up with an ending that really rattles people or upsets the audience. And I think that they're just looking for that provocative response, that provocative head-scratching moment where the audience is like, hmm, and they're going to have to think about that one before they decide if they liked it or didn't like it. Yeah, I think you're right. Another film that I watched is a documentary called A Glitch in the Matrix. All right. This one is, um, have you ever heard of simulation theory? I have not. So simulation theory, this is something that my youngest daughter is fascinated by. And I think she's actually open to it. But it was her idea to watch this documentary. And simulation theory stands for the proposition that we are living in a simulation, that this is not real. What you and I are doing right now is basically happening in the context of a video game. Okay. Or some other universe is controlling what you and I are doing. And I'm probably grossly mischaracterizing what simulation theory is. Even though I've seen the entire documentary, Glitch in the Matrix, start to finish. And I've heard about it before a little bit. I mean, Philip Dick you know who Philip Dick is? I don't, but this uh, simulation theory is uh, its starting to ring a bell. I've heard it. Yeah. So we go from John in the hole to Philip Dick. I'm throwing all kinds of um, <laughs> titles and names at you that your mind and imagination are going to run wild with. But Philip K. Dick wrote novels. I think he wrote like over 50 of them. And some of them were turned into movies. One of them is Blade Runner, which I'm sure you've heard of. Oh, yeah. Uh, Total Recall was another one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, yes, of course. Minority Report with Tom Cruise. And so this documentary, A Glitch in the Matrix, shows footage of Philip Dick talking about simulation theory. He was a big believer in it. He died very young of some illness uh, in his 50s. 
but he was a big proponent of simulation theory and just didn't think that any of this was real. And I, I didn't know that about Philip Dick. I guess I should have presumed that looking at the movies that were um, made based upon his books. But um, I was uh, pretty fascinated by the concept because the folks that were featured in this movie, present day people who are still alive, they're like MIT grads, Harvard grads. Elon Musk is a simulation theory guy. Oh yeah, I, I, I believe that. So you have very smart people who are intellectual giants who believe in simulation theory, or at least are open to it. So it's, you know, it's kind of a, an eye-opening documentary to see. The last Sundance film that I have watched is a movie called Prisoners of Ghostland, oh. starring Nick Cage and Nick Cassavetes. Nice. I'm always a big Nicolas Cage fan, and I know that he has gone in kind of a bizarre direction with some of his films over the last decade and has become almost a, a farcical figure in film. I mean, some of the movies that he does are just so outrageous and absurd that you kind of wonder, is he taking this seriously or is he in on the joke? Right. That type of thing. Yeah. Prisoners of Ghostland is a Japanese film uh, shot in Japan, and uh, the director is Japanese. And Nick Cage is actually friends with Nick Cassavetes. That friendship dates all the way back to Face Off. Yeah, I remember that. And Jason, you remember this, of course, because you're part of the podcast. But the listeners who have not been listening to the show since early last year, I interviewed Nick Cassavetes about his role on Face Off and also directing Alpha Dog and, and directing The Notebook. And of course, his dad, John Cassavetes. And, Legend. And his mother, of course, Jenna Rowland. But it was a great interview and, and I still get all kinds of YouTube comments. I'm probably one comment a week now. And the, the interview has been up on YouTube for quite a while. But again, a lot of fans of Nick Cassavetes go to that interview and watch it repeatedly. I've had people say, hey, this is the second or third time that I have watched this thing, and thank you for putting it up there. That's awesome. Nick Cassavetes is just a natural storyteller, but he's also a huge stage presence. So he's on screen, this very imposing guy. I mean, he's in his 60s, but he's ripped. You don't see this in the movie, but uh, if you go to his Instagram, <laughs> you'll see, I mean, I was talking to Chris Kincaid about this the other day, who's good friends with Nick. And he was massaging Nick. And for the audience who isn't familiar with Chris, Chris is a massage therapist that we interviewed uh, spring of last year. And he's very good friends with Nick Cassavetes. They grew up together. But he told me that Nick is actually preparing for a bodybuilding competition in Las Vegas in November. No kidding. Yeah. And if you go to Nick's Instagram, you'll see, I mean, this guy is ripped. He is in the best shape probably he's ever been in his life. Oh, I've seen it. Yeah. So when you see this guy on film, you realize he's a total badass. He's a good actor. He's in kind of a crazy film. It's very post-apocalyptic. It's stylized. It's like a Japanese Western, but there's samurai sword fights. <laughs> there's a beautiful actress by the name of Sophia Butella in there who's Algerian. And it's got a great cast. The storyline is a little bit out there. I should say a lot out there. But it, it kind of reminds me of a Quentin Tarantino film from the standpoint that it's very violent, a little bit goofy with some of the violence and some of the dialogue, but a lot of fun. 
Well, I, I think when you and I were talking the other day, you said it's like uh, Quentin Tarantino on acid. That's accurate. <laughs> That's totally accurate. It's, uh, it's Quentin Tarantino takes acid, flies to Japan, and decides to shoot a samurai sword fight that lasts over the course of maybe an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> it's a fun film. I'm not sure when it'll be picked up and, and released on streaming, but um, I'm sure it will be soon. Well, I can't wait. I'm not going to see this thing. So, Jason, my friend, what do we have coming up next? Uh, we have an interview with a musician by the name of Justin Connor. I'm really looking forward to hearing that. I have uh, not heard any of the interview. It's all just fresh in my mind, though. I think I was telling you about the connection that I made with Justin and how it was very similar to the connection that I made with Chris Kincaid. Yeah. There's just certain people, when you're talking to them, you instantly know that they are going to be in your inner circle and you're going to be in theirs. And it feels like you've known them for your whole life. Yeah. That's, that's great. Well, my conversation with Justin Connor felt that way, and um, it's pretty special. He's a filmmaker, he's a musician, he's an artist, and he has a new film out on Amazon Prime called The Golden Age. So I'm um, looking forward to hearing how that sounds. Yeah, well, I did a little research on him and watched the trailer for that movie, which I think looks brilliant, by the way. And I really appreciated his music, because I can tell that he is heavily influenced by like Bob Dylan and the Beatles. And he kind of has moments where he sounds a bit like a combo of like John Lennon and Bob Dylan as well. And the piano work and the musicianship is really good in this movie and the, and the album that goes along with it. I really like it. I'm interested in hearing more about Justin in the future. Yeah. He's not just a good musician, but he is a songwriter. Yeah. He wrote these songs. He is the songwriter for every song in that movie. And I have immense respect for songwriters because, you know, I can write a short story, I can write a screenplay and feel like I can do this thing. You know, it may not be good, it may not get sold, but at least I can do the thing and I can at least pretend that I'm a writer. <laughs> but when it comes to writing songs, there's a real block that I have. It doesn't matter if I'm picking up a guitar, which I'm way more comfortable with than a piano or on a piano, or a mandolin, or whatever the instrument is, there's some type of psychic block that I have to unlock to be able to tap into that songwriting aspect of my creativity. And so to see him basically write an entire soundtrack to a movie exclusively for the purpose of telling this story in this movie. Right. Not to become a rock star, not to become a famous musician, but He's contributing toward the narrative of the film through these songs. Yep. And they're great fucking songs. They're good. So anyway, looking forward to that. And thanks for being on the dual cast, my friend. Thanks for inviting me. And I like the way that we're doing this right now. This works. It does. It sounds way better in my earphones. It flows better. Just feels like we're having a more real connected conversation. I agree. Sounds good. All right, brother. Until next time. Until next time. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>